It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Live in the Bream with the host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. I'm always excited to welcome back a familiar voice and face to those of you who watch him on TV as well. Um, he is an expert in the things that we're going to be talking about today. He is the pastor of First Baptist in Dallas. He is a prolific, best-selling author. He's got Pathway to Victory, so you can see him, you can hear him everywhere. Uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, welcome back to Live in the Bream. Great to be back with you, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you for lending us some of your expertise here today. Um, I've got this new book coming out, Love Stories of the Bible Speak, and I wanted to include friendships. I thought that was really important that they were part of this book as well. And so I dug into a chapter we're going to talk about today, which is Job. And I think a lot of people know the story of Job, if they're familiar with it at all, that he was a man who suffered enormously, greatly. But that whole conversation had to pass through God's hands before it got to Job. And his friends were then, you know, they just know the earthly side of the story. And we'll talk about how they show up and the pronouncements that they make. But the first most important thing is tell us a little bit about what Job had weathered and why it was so important for these friends to just show up. Well, you know, I'll have to say, Shannon, I was surprised when you included Job in this book. It's a great book, The Love Stories of the Bible. But after I read your chapter and thought about it, I understand completely. I think this story, first of all, clarifies the nature of God's love for us. Mm -hmm. uh, people have the idea today that being loved by God, being in a relationship with God, uh, exempts you from any problems in life. Uh, mm -hmm. We have this kind of deal we make with God. If I serve you, you won't let anything bad happen to me. Well, the story of Job explodes that uh, right. completely. God's love for us doesn't exempt problems from coming into our life. But as you noted, it's also an illustration of what real friendship is. You know, a cursory reading of Job or a hearing of Job, we think these three friends are the villains in the story, and they come and try to blame Job for the suffering he's experiencing. But I think uh, this story really uh, is true because it illustrates all of us operate with mixed motives sometimes. Uh, the fact is, we uh, sometimes say some things that are true and some things that are not true. And as you point out in the book, uh, a true friend ought to get credit for showing up. And mm -hmm. these three friends showed up when Job was uh, facing the loss of his livelihood, his children, his health, and they tried to comfort him. And they ought to be given credit for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, when Job was going through all of this devastation of losing his children, losing his family, his livelihood, um, his, you know, flocks and all these things that the, the world would have said, you know, that makes him a very successful and high profile guy. Then his health is attacked as well. And I think any of us who have struggled with a health issue, that really hits home for us. Um, it's really intensified his struggle of all the loss he was already going through. So he's got these three friends and they decide that they are going to go comfort him. And as you said, I mean, let's give them credit for that because um, they gathered together and met together and said, okay, we're going to show up. And um, as they were traveling to him, they got within sight of him. And by the way, I want to get their names right. We've joked about this, but Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Um, <laughs> they decided to go to him and afar off, they see just how completely devastated 
his life is, his health, his body, his mind. And they begin weeping and mourning as they're crossing the space to get to him. And they get there and sit there for seven days and nobody says anything. So let's talk about that, that gift of just being present. Because I know we've talked about it's, and I know as a pastor, you face this over and over and over again. People worry that they won't know what to say. Yeah. And so maybe they don't pick up the phone or they don't show up. But Job's friends show us that just being there is a, a beautiful gift. Yeah. And, you know, Shannon, uh, I think it is interesting that they were quiet for a week, as you pointed out. Sometimes people are afraid to try to comfort people who are in distress saying, I don't know what to say. Well, sometimes nothing is the best thing to say. Mm-hmm. We have this idea that we need to try to explain things. We need to go into all of these great truths and so forth. And there's a place for that. But sometimes being quiet is the most important thing we can do. Uh, the late uh, Joe Bailey, who was head of the Christian Medical Society, uh, lost three children. And after the death of one of his children, he talked about somebody who came to visit and the visitor wouldn't shut up. He just kept talking mm-hmm. about the wonders of heaven and so forth. And Joe says, I just wish he would go away. And then a second person came and said nothing to him other than I'm sorry and let me help you any way I can and sat there in silence. And he said, I wish this person would have stayed longer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, again, we don't have to explain things. We don't have to try to explain why things happen. Uh, Just be honest with somebody. If you're shocked uh, to learn of uh, uh, suffering they've experienced, Say so. Say you're shocked, you're surprised, uh, but don't try to explain what is many times inexplicable. Yeah, and and I think that maybe is us trying to fill the the void or the awkwardness of of the gap of not knowing what to say, and that may be where we get ourselves in some trouble. And we'll talk about Job's friends doing that. I thought it was a beautiful thing. Um, Toby Mack was on with us recently, and he's told this story, and he shared it with us about when his son suddenly died, his young firstborn son. That a friend of his, John Reddick, who's another Christian musician out there, just came to his house and just sat and played the piano. You know, there would be people coming and going. There would be silence. There would be crying. But John just sat there for hours a day just playing the piano. And that was his gift to them to sort of be some kind of comfort, not hashing things out or trying to explain or figure everything out, but just providing this sort of gift is what he had to give. And so I thought that was a beautiful thing, too. Like we just show up and do what we think we can to comfort. But for Job's friends, um, I write in the book, Love Stories of the Bible Speak, it said, you know, we got to give them a little bit of credit. If you think about this part of this part of scripture and how they were trying to reason through this, they say, I, I write, they knew about a God only from observing the beauty of creation and from hearing stories passed down through generations, but not from seeing firsthand his supernatural action on behalf of his people. They didn't yet have the example of God's miracles performed on behalf of Israel to rely on. So they hadn't seen the parting of the Red Sea, none of the law given at Mount Sinai, no manna in the wilderness. So they didn't have the advantage of knowing God in the context of his covenant with Israel, but they knew him in the best way that they knew how. And it's from that place that they tried Try to reason with Job about maybe you've sinned. Maybe this is about your sin. If you would just confess your sin, the suffering would stop. Um, they were doing the best they could with the knowledge and the understanding that they had. That's right. And, you know, again, they said a lot of things that were true, but in, in interspersed with the true statements they made were just some 
tremendously wrong statements. You point out in the book in Job 4, Eliphaz asked Job, when were the upright ever destroyed? Well, that's the (laughs) idea that nothing ever bad happens to the upright. We know from personal experience that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, it's uh, truth mixed with just enough error to be deadly. And uh, that's why we need to evaluate everything by the truth of God's Word, because we do have all of God's revelation now Mm -hmm. in Scripture. And, you know, what I often laugh about, Shannon, when I think about Job is, Things would have been much easier for Job if he had the first chapter (laughs) of Job. I mean, he knew what was going on in heaven between God and Satan. It would have made sense to him. It would have made sense to his three friends. But interestingly, God, when God comes to talk to Job and his three friends, God never answers the why question. But he does answer the who question. Who's responsible for all of this? And God takes ultimate responsibility. And I think that's something uh, those listening right now can take great comfort in. When you go through a terrible tragedy, uh, God doesn't explain the why of it, but he does assure us that he is in control. And that uh, even though Satan's a very real force, somebody said Satan is like a junkyard dog on a very long leash. His power to destroy is considerable, but it's also limited. And uh, even though God allowed Satan to bring these travails into Job's life, God was ultimately responsible. Mm -hmm. It's so um, ironic to me that his friends are talking about what sin he may have done or what, um, you know, they're trying to reason through with their understanding of how he may have been at fault. But again, like you said, the very first, the very beginning of Job tells us that because he was such a righteous man, that's why the enemy wanted to go after him to prove that he would turn his back on God. So I'm thinking, okay, his friends are here wearing him out. What have you not confessed? What's going on? Where the real issue was that because he was so righteous is why he was was walking through this place. But as you said, God's always in control and God is always aware of whatever it is that we're suffering through. Um, We see so many examples in the Bible of friendships and how we can support each other, whether it's sitting there silently or showing up or pledging to stand together in some specific kind of fight or something that's going on in life. Um, But as you and I talked about at First Baptist, There are growing studies that show, um, especially when it comes to men, and we've talked about it on the podcast as well, that people are finding it more difficult to to really form meaningful, vulnerable, transparent relationships, Um, that the number of people that they say in their life they'd count as real friends, I mean, those numbers are dwindling. I'm sure that you've seen so many changes in relationships and things over your years and decades as a pastor and author and teacher about how, you know, we've gotten more disconnected. We don't um, invest as much in the idea of community, whether that's our church and spiritual community or just our friendships, getting to know our neighbors. I mean, how much do you think technology and the pace of this world has kind of disconnected some of our relationships? There's no doubt the technology has helped disconnect us, but the pandemic really accelerated that disconnect. And uh, a lot of people still have not come back to their spiritual community, the church. And that's devastating because 
one of, you know, Satan is not a very original being, Shannon. He doesn't come up with new ideas because the old ones work just fine. And he's had this strategy from the beginning. He knows he can, if he can isolate Christians, then he can attack and destroy. Isolate, attack, and destroy. And that's why, as you point out, we need a spiritual community, the church. You know, Hebrews 10, 25 and 26 says, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves as has become the habit of some. Uh, I tell people we're kind of like those two porcupines in northern Canada (laughs) that huddled together to keep warm. Uh, They needed each other, even though they needled each other. And, you know, the fact is, I mean, the church is filled with imperfect people. I'm one of them. But we really desperately need one another. And I've seen this for more than 40 years in the church when people go through a great time of suffering like Job did, the loss of a child, the loss of a mate, maybe the loss of a job. Christians rally around Mm -hmm. them. And I hear people say, I don't know how people outside of a church who don't have a church family make it. Well, the answer is they don't make it. Most people get broken over great tragedies in their life. And I think uh, Job uh, illustrates the need for a spiritual community to be a part of. Yeah, it's so true. And a beautiful thing that um, if you're part of a community like this, or if you have a small group, as many churches do now, um, community groups and other families and um, people who are in the same stage of life that you are, whether you're single or family or kids or grandkids or wherever you are, um, I've seen such beautiful things happen when in the midst of a tragedy, people show up and whether it's, you know, I'm sending food. Um, I'm going to come do your laundry. I'm going to clean your house. I'm going to help you plan a funeral. I mean, whatever it is, there's this beautiful thing that um, people who are kind of chosen family, which is our spiritual family, um, people that we um, choose to share life with and be vulnerable with, um, the more vulnerable that we are, the tighter those friendship bonds grow. And I think there's something really special and beautiful about that. And as you said, Hebrews is just one of the places that we see that um, we are instructed to meet together and to be together. And I got to say, living in the D.C. area, we did a lot of online church during COVID, and it was so fun to come to Dallas where you guys had very carefully and thoughtfully worked through how you were going to reopen your church so that people could come and be safe and be part of worship. I really felt the absence of that during those months that we had nowhere Mm -hmm. to go here. Um, And you realize that even if you don't know everybody's name or you may recognize people who sit in certain pews and you see them and you make eye contact, but just to be there and hear the word together, to sing songs together, to listen to the sermon together, you realize what great value that is. And I really missed it. It made me realize you should be very grateful for this freedom and this beauty that you have every week to go to whatever house of worship that you want to and, and to go there and share these share each other's burdens. And we're called to do that, to bear each other's burdens. We are. You know, I saw just a couple of weeks ago on Drudge two stories posted, one underneath the other one. The first story was church attendance at record low. The second story was emotional disorders at a record high, anxiety, depression, loneliness. Do you think there might be a connection? <laughs> I mean, I think there there has to be. And I would just say to people, going to church is not to satisfy some legalistic, ritualistic requirement. God created us. He knows that we need one another. And I think this story you so beautifully write about, Job, just so much illustrates the importance of relationships with other believers. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. 
This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. At the end of his story, which again, this is one of our chapters from Love Stories of the Bible Speak out March 28th. Um, at the end of the chapter, we talk about how really at the end of Job's story, God comes back Um you know, chastises the friends a little bit. He, he, you know, speaks up in defense of Job and, and explains where he's been in this whole thing. Um, what do you think that we should do as friends? I mean, we want to show up. That's part of um, this dichotomy. But we also, we all want to be the person who has friends show up. And I think that's got to work um, in both directions. If we want to have the Eliphazes show up in our life when we're the Job, um, we have to be the Eliphazes uh, that show up and um, encourage people, even in small things. It doesn't have to be a tragedy like what Job's going through. I think there's a lot of value in just you think of somebody, you say a quick prayer for them. You reach out and send a quick text. I'm thinking about you. I know what you're going through. Yes. Um, it doesn't have to be that we wait until someone's in desperate need, that we let them know that we care about them and that, you know, we really have a network of friends. And that's right. And Shannon, I would add, you know, when you do show up, don't ever ask the question, is there anything I can do for you? Mm. <laughs> because yes, what is the best people- advice? Yeah, when don't say that because most people their thinking is clouded. They're in shock. They yeah. they can't think anything. Their response, the reflexive answer is no. Just do something practical. Don't ask. Do it. Mm-hmm. If there are meals to be ordered or prepared, just go ahead and do it and say, "I just want you to know I've taken care of dinner tonight for you mm-hmm. and your family." If there's a lawn that needs to be mowed, you know, do that. If there's a child that needs to be picked up at school, do that. But do something practical. Don't just ask if you can do something practical. And, you know, the other thing I would say, Shannon, is when we do try to speak words of comfort, be sure we're speaking words of truth. You know, you point out in Job 42 that when God addressed those three friends, He said, I am angry with you because you have not spoken truth. Mm -hmm. Whenever we attempt to speak about God, we want to be sure we're speaking truth. Uh, God is not uh, a collection of our speculations about him. I mean, there is a God. He has attributes and they're described in Scripture. And it's important that we know what we're talking about when we attempt to talk about God. Yeah, and so folks know the ending of this story. I want to read just a a few sentences at the close of this chapter. Again, this is from Love Stories of the Bible Speak. It says, we're told that God gave him twice as much as he had before. That's from Job 42.10. But just as losing everything wasn't a punishment on Job, his new family and wealth wasn't a reward of some kind. Job had knocked down, drag out, painfully honest conversations with both God and his earthly friends. Remember when he was saying he just didn't even wish that he had ever been born. He wished he hadn't been born. Well, genuine relationships can handle those storms. It's the courage to actually show up and engage that defines a solid friendship. So, Even though the title of the book is Love Stories, um, there are several about friendship. Jonathan and David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jesus and the relationships he had, Paul and the relationships he had. Um, I think there's so much to learn from the good and the bad in these relationships. Um, And from them, we can see how um, love and true friendship and commitment is modeled and hopefully will help us because, Pastor, as you mentioned on Sunday, you know, all the discussion in the New Testament about what's the law, what does it boil down to? It's to love God with all our 
heart, soul, mind, and spirit. But there's that second part that we may struggle with a little bit, which is to love our neighbors as ourselves. because I don't see any exceptions. When Jesus was talking about that, he was like, oh, the person who cut you off in traffic, the person who drives you crazy at work. Um, I think we're supposed to love them all. So that focus on um, not only being aware of and taking in God's love, which I hope everybody will understand and get, um, but how we as believers are to turn that around and share that in our communities as well, too, whether we're cranky or not. Well, Jesus said the ultimate proof that you're his disciple is this. By this, all men shall know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And there's never a better time to demonstrate that love than when a friend is going through a difficult time. And congratulations, Shannon, on what is a great book. I know it's going to be a huge hit. Well, thank you so much. And tell us what you have coming next. Well, we have a uh, new book that just came out called What Every Christian Should Know, Mm -hmm. 10 Truths uh, That You Can Stand On in a Shifting World. It's the 10 essential uh, doctrines of historic Christianity. And even though uh, popular opinion changes, polls change, God's truth never changes. So what every Christian should know is an attempt to go back and rediscover the 10 basic historic beliefs that Christianity is built on. I've got it on my desk. Pastor, thank you very much. We always appreciate you uh, letting us pick your brain a little bit and go deeper on some of these biblical truths and stories. God bless you, and we'll chat again soon. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.